and good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet. I'm here in the studio with Laurent Landis. Josh is on the board for us. Uh, our guest is Dr. Greg Kaysen. He's in L.A. and, um, you know, Pride Month has changed over the years. Uh, at first it was a protest against police harassment. Now in Dallas, they fly a pride flag over Dallas police headquarters. Uh, that That's a change. Times have changed indeed. Um, but corporations have adopted us as the minority of the month, and I feel that this year especially. But Pride didn't just start with Stonewall, uh, and uh, Greg is going to talk to us a little bit about that. How are, how are you, Greg? I'm very good, thank you. Happy Pride. Happy, Happy Pride. Pride. Um, okay, so we were talking a little bit before the show, and Pride didn't start with Stonewall. That was more a culmination of some of the things that had gone on building up to it. Tell us a little bit about pre-Stonewall days? You know, here in uh, L.A., we actually, well, there were there were already police raids going on in gay bars all around the nation in certain cities, and certainly in L.A., we had a big problem with it. And two years beforehand, we actually had uh, the Black Cat, which is a bar here in the Silver Lake area of Los Angeles. Uh, there was a big raid, that, and it was very similar to the Stonewall riots that happened at the time. But I think the Stonewall riots were really was supposed to be an isolated event, which that one seemed like it was, as they were around the nation. This one suddenly caught the attention of the nation, which is what happened in Stonewall um, in 1969. Um, and it's really interesting. I have to say, we're talking about pride. And at this very moment, as I'm talking, speaking with you, I'm on Santa Monica Boulevard in Los Angeles, in the West Hollywood area of Los Angeles. And I looked out, and I didn't even know this was happening. Today would be our usual Pride celebration. But I looked out, and I saw Dykes on Bikes, which is the traditional lead of the Gay Pride Parade in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. um, suddenly going down the street. And I thought, well, isn't that wonderful? They're doing that. And then I saw a group of about 75 people carrying flags um, following behind them. And that was the extent of our Pride Parade here in Los Angeles, which if anyone's ever been, they know it goes on for hours and hours and has hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. So this was quite a difference. Right. Pride Month here has been odd. Uh, yesterday, uh, I, I went to two different Pride celebrations. There, there are lots of small Pride celebrations. One of the ones I went to, the WNBA's Dallas Wings had their Pride game. And College Park Stadium was uh, or arena uh, was filled. It was just pride flags all around the arena. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, of, course, of course, when I asked if uh, any of their lesbian players would be interviewed, the answer was, well, we don't know if there are any lesbian players. I said, I didn't ask you if there were any lesbian players. I asked you if there were any out players. <laughs> well, isn't that the difference, too? Um, it, you know, that's... That is actually a phenomenon. We run <laughs> the psychological stuff so quickly, but this is actually a phenomenon called heterosexism. And it's because it's, it's interesting, and I think that's a good point of view to have. It's, it's looking at the world through heterosexual or majority lenses um, and ba basically seeing everybody as heterosexual. It's kind of innocent until proven guilty, until someone yep. shows that they're gay then they're not gay, or it's even rude or impolite to assume that they are. 
how so, how, you know, how do you prove more than being on a WNBA team that you're lesbian? <laughs> I, you know. and, and this is not criticism. <laughs> we won, and we. I mean, the Wings did fabulously yesterday. They pulled out to a 10-point lead within the first uh, two minutes of the game and maintained that lead throughout the game and won by about 15 points. They did great oh, yesterday. I, I am not in any – I love the Dallas Wings. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, but not out. Not out. That's <laughs> too bad. Um, yeah. Uh, Laurent and I were talking just before the show, and this is just jumping around. Carl Nassib just uh, recently came out as the first out Act, active NFL player. Yes. That's, uh, and that distinction needs to be made. A lot of people aren't understanding this on social media because they're naming all these other NFL players who have come out after they re- have retired mm-hmm. or – yeah. Um, like Michael Sam, who never officially actually got into the NFL, and they're bringing up these names. Yeah. It's like, okay, this is the first active player to come out. Mm-hmm. That's the distinction. Um, how important is that? You know, extremely important. So let's talk. Because, uh, you know, as much as I want to say, oh, it, it, you know, there's so many that came before him, it's extremely important because we have a, a traditionally um, – heterosexually associated sport, you know, that's like the ultimate male grunt sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, men jumping we, on each other. That's Explain to me again how that's a heterosexual sport. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> well, we can could, we could talk about <laughs> and all the uh, different positions like tight end, but the, mm-hmm. the one thing about the um, him coming out was this is some, this has not been done in that field, in that uh, particular way. And he came out in a rather classy and straightforward way and just said, hey, I'm gay. You know, didn't like beat around the bush, just said, here it is. Um, donated $100,000 to Trevor Project, sort of laid down the gauntlet and mm-hmm. said, you know, and that's that. And please don't bother me because I have to focus on my team and my sport, which was great because mm-hmm. he didn't make it about him. He, but he did make it about our community. He basically said, I'm gay and, and I'm coming out because it's Pride Month and this and that. And he agonized. So he had his own personal decision to make, but he knew the impact he was about to have on Do you know the sweetest thing about his coming out? He said, I have something to announce. I'm gay. And as he said he was gay, a smile came across his face. And yeah. it, he didn't do it with publicists. He didn't do it with, um, no. you know, it, with the news media there. It just looked like he was in his own backyard, and uh, yep. and and he just made the announcement. Yep, I agree. There was no fanfare. There was nothing, and yet it caught like wildfire because of who he is and the position that he's in. Um, you know, I had a friend here back in L.A. back in the '80s. His name was Mark Coleman. His dream was to start a gay gay football believe it or not. Mm-hmm. And he, he played football in college. He's from Dallas, as a matter of fact. Played football in college and uh, and really loved football um, and even started a gay sports magazine that, you know, ran for a few issues but didn't really get off the ground. And the barriers, you know, that he had to come up against, just getting people to play who identified as out were incredible. So someone like uh, Carl NASA uh, who came out that was an incredible amazing thing that happened and, um, and I'm sure Mark would be proud he passed away 
You, you know, for those, you know, this generation, they may not think it's that big a deal, but <clears throat> for those who don't know, it, it's, it's really a big deal. You know, um, it just shows how far we've come in kind of a short period of time. You know, there's a lot of comparisons, and Michael Sam has been brought up a lot, and why why yeah. didn't he get the kind of love that Carl is getting? And, you know, it's like you have to look at the time. What Michael yeah. went through was almost a decade ago. That was in 2014. And, yes. and so he did kind of lay the pathwork for what, what Carl just did. Also, Carl's did. been in the NFL already for six seasons. What Michael right. Sam did was before he even got officially into the NFL. So there's huge differences, and the time makes a big difference. I can't agree with you more. And in fact, uh, coming out as you're trying to get onto a team is probably one of the riskier things a person can Absolutely. do. Absolutely. That would be the risk he took was phenomenal. Absolutely. Uh, and and his contribution in doing that did help lay the groundwork for what's going on today. We you know, we constantly look at the newest, shiniest object, but we don't often pay attention to those who paved our way to make life easier for the rest of us. Absolutely. Do you know who I absolutely have always adored is Dave Copay. Dave Copay. Oh, yeah. He yeah. was the first NFL player to come out after retiring. When I was yeah. when I was a senior, uh, he wrote his book, and because my school was one of the few that had a an active LGBT alliance at the time, he came and spoke at our school, and he took time to meet wow. with all the gay kids who who were hanging out, and he he was so wonderful. He was the first famous uh, gay person that I had met, and that has had an effect on me my whole life, and for. Josh is looking at me cross-eyed uh, across the, the table, but uh, for a football player to be the person who I can say had a, an effect on me, he was here for an event a number of years later, uh, and I was able to thank him for that, which it was good to see, good to see him again. So he, he lives with his husband out in uh, California now, and uh, he's, he was a great guy. You know, another thing just to show how far we've come um, in far as, you know, openly gay um, athletes in sports, but particularly in the NFL, because I totally agree with you, Greg. It's like the yeah. ultimate, you know, quote unquote, masculine sport here in the United States anyway. Um, so the idea that a gay man could play uh, football and even play at a professional level just seems like, like no, that can't happen. Again, here in America, um, but what, you know, you look back and you think, what was what was the part of the, you would think? Okay, if they found a gay guy that can play, what's the problem? Well, one of the issues was uh, not an issue, and that was the locker room issue. They tried to make an issue out of that, you know. And again, this was just not even ten years ago. Now, shoot ahead today, and the NFL released at the beginning of this month released. Um, a picture and had all the NFL teams with their logos covered in pride flags. If that's not change, I don't know what is. Yeah, no, that's huge change. I mean, the the amount of I think we got to look at it this way. I mean, or at least I'd look at it this way. It's not just the NFL; it's what the NFL represents and what their fans will see and how they will react. I, you know, I hate to say it, but people in many ways follow their leader. 
And if your leader or your idol is the NFL and football players, if they are cool with being gay, all of a sudden it's going to be easier for you to be cool with being gay. So it's going to actually change attitudes, even if it seems like it's just this, you know, solo team or this football player or a league that's doing this. It's going to start to change attitudes, and the more you change attitudes, the more attitudes will change. So it, it has the snowball effect. So it's it's a big, big thing. I mean, as much as I'd like to say, oh, you know, they're, you know, I like to honor all people equally in the coming out process. It's something near and dear to my heart. But it, you know, there are some people who are going to have a more massive impact, and that's mm-hmm. that's that needs to be noted. Well, hopefully, we'll see more. <laughs> Hopefully we'll yeah. see more athletes, uh, particularly, again, in the NFL coming out, maybe even this year. Who knows? You know, it, it really kind of makes me think, too. Yes, I agree, and I hope we do see more of that. And I think we are seeing – I think that just laid the you know groundwork for things. But, you know, you guys have a radio show. I'm sorry to call attention to you, but it strikes me, too, that a radio show, you know, being gay – um, because in all of our these professions, you can choose to hide. And that's what Carl Nassim could have done. He could have passed. He never needed to say a thing. He would have had a successful yep. career, and he could have his private life. Um, and, you know, when you put yourself out there, you put yourself out there in a significant way, and all of us know who put ourselves out there, that you incur backlash, not only from strangers, which is okay, but from your closest family members or friends, and I, you know, I, I'm sure you guys have. I've lost friends who found out I was gay and then stopped being my friend from high school, college, mm-hmm. workplaces, and and uh, you know, what can I say? I'm like, well, I, I can't change that fact. So, oh well. But it, it always the look of disgust on their face always stuck with me, and you know, it's something that hits you psychologically. Um, and so, you know, that's why the more we change things and the more people come out, the more, the less that's going to be the case. Yeah. Now, okay, so here's where I'm different than what you said, uh-huh. which is normal for me. Um, you said, you know, you lose friends uh, from high school. No, all of my friends from high school came out. <laughs> oh. Uh, and uh, you lose family. Yeah, when uh, I called my cousins to come to my wedding, uh, my aunt, who was about 90 at the time, called me and said, David, I'm coming to Dallas. I want to give you away. And I said, okay, but you have to know this will be the most bizarre wedding you've ever been to. And she said, David, I've known you since you were born. Why do you think I'm coming? <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful support. I mean, I, I applaud you. I, you know, I grew up in an area that would make Dallas look like San Francisco. It was extremely conservative, very, very conservative, um, and which is Orange County, California. And at the time, it was even more than conservative than it is now. Um, it was affectionately called Reagan Country, and the, you know, the, uh, the the center of the Republican conservative movement, and. Um, and there, where I grew up also, there was a lot of really extreme prejudice. So people kept their, if they were homosexual or gay, lesbian, transgender, they kept it well under wraps. Now, I'll have to fast forward to recently, and about, I feel like it was about 10 years ago. I'm sorry, I don't know the, no, it was probably less than that. It was about 
seven years ago. There, uh, they had the very first transgender homecoming queen at my high school, and it was such a celebration for oh, me awesome. to think that my high school actually allowed or was okay with that. They're still very conservative there, but they made room for this person who was incredible and came out and you know was homecoming queen elected homecoming queen because that's a popular vote that's not selected by somebody so that that was incredible we need to take a break greg stay with us you're listening to lambda weekly on 89.3 knon fm i'm dave taffet here in the studio with leron landis and we'll be back with more lambda weekly right after this this is rollins gellin and i'm listening to lambda weekly on 89.3 and darn glad to be doing it and this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here with Laurent Landis. We're talking to Dr. Greg Kaysen about pride and how it's changed over the years. Um, one of the things that's changed is corporate rainbow washing, corporate embracing of us one month a year, which I guess is better than no months a year. Uh, <coughs> I.e. what the NFL just did. <laughs> Um, some some companies have had a commitment to their LGBT employees for longer than others have. Uh, I know we saw that here in Dallas when Exxon bought Mobile. Mobile was one of the first companies that had uh, employee uh, partner benefits. Uh, when Exxon took them over, those were gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and there were protests at Mobile or, or at Exxon's headquarters for years. At, not at their headquarters, at the um, uh, shareholders meeting uh, for, well, until marriage equality, mm-hmm. so for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And having reported on it, I know more about offshore drilling than any gay reporter should know. Uh, but uh, they were trying to change corporate policy on, uh, on partner benefits. Um, now, Exxon was probably the worst example of a company not doing anything for its LGBT employees. Um, What can you say about the history of corporate embracing and not embracing of the LGBT community? You know, know, talking as a psychologist, I have to say there's an important psychological impact that's, that's cutting both ways when it comes to corporations. One is that Number one, in the early days, when we saw people like Levi's give uh, partner benefits or you saw Absolute advertise to the gay community specifically, these became brands that were representing the mainstream who were doing something for uh, people who were gay, lesbian, transgender, etc., who were, who were putting themselves out there because they would get backlash from uh Christian groups and other groups around the nation. So that was a very good thing that really helped us as a people. But now I think we're seeing a little something go overboard. Um, and now everybody doesn't really, they're not really doing something to help the gay community as much as they're trying to sell products. And they are just putting rainbow flags on things just to sort of say, hey, buy this product. Um, and I think you can tell the difference uh, if there's nothing behind it. <laughs> At least if they don't donate a portion of the, you know, that that particular sale to uh, a charity or do something specific. If they're just trying to sell rainbow shorts, which I can't even tell you how many emails I've gotten for rainbow shorts. So <laughs> it's, 
you know, it's getting ridiculous at some point. So do you think, you know, I mean, I agree with you that, you know, a lot of these uh, corporations are just trying to sell products, but also the optics at least look good. And I think that kind of puts the message out there to the larger population that, hey, it's yeah. OK. We're on board. We're anti-hate. We're very pro welcoming um, LGBT um, because the, in, in doing what they're doing as far as the rainbow washing, you know, they are going to lose some customers also. I don't know if you, you've heard about this story um, earlier this month. There's this little small bakery shop out in West Texas, and they simply put some rainbow cookies on their website, and they lost some huge orders. And um, as a result, people came and stepped up to the plate and bought them out. You know, um, so it, it ended up working out for them in the long run. But if it happens to that little bitty cookie um it's a little bitty um, bakery shop. You know yeah. these larger b- brands, they're going to lose people too. Yeah. I mean, it, it's going to happen. And, and it's really an interesting thing because what happened there in West Texas may be a reflection of uh, they may, you know, there's some courageous employees and let's just do this mm-hmm. and didn't realize the backlash they're about to receive. You know, right. I can't imagine. That they, so they, you know, put themselves out there and I, I really do applaud those people. Those are the small things. So, yes, I do agree that when you put things out, you're going to have more um, uh, attitude shift. And, you know, it's interesting. I studied attitudes. I probably talk about it. I studied attitude, especially regarding gay, lesbian, uh, bisexual, transgender, when I was in my doctoral program at the University of Houston. And the um, one thing that was really interesting to me was attitude shift that happened when suddenly within um, it was not good to be overtly racist. So people became more covertly or what we called subtle racism. Mm-hmm. So they would they would start to do these more secret things. What's happening within the gay community is really interesting because in many ways it was still cool to call someone gay, to put them down, to make fun of them for being gay, etc. But now it's not becoming as cool anymore. So that we're not seeing the attitude necessarily, negative attitudes necessarily go away in all communities. What you're also seeing is a, a shift to subtle homophobia or the things will go underground a bit. But I think we have to expect that. And that's not the worst thing, because at least then it, it starts to um, drop away as opposed to stay, stay, out, stay out in our faces and make us feel bad as a community. Yeah. We can't expect people to change. That's the thing. We can't expect them to change. We can only present the stimulus that can cause the change. And that's the thing that will actually change things. I was watching a thing, on, by the way, on Russia, and they were asking people in Russia about their attitudes towards gays and lesbians. And it was really fascinating because people said things that you might have heard back in the U.S. 50 years ago. Because there, it's not okay to be gay. Not at all. Um, and there was some support and a lot of people saying how disgusting it was and they they could not estimate the number of gays and lesbians they were like 60 percent of the population is gay and, be, and they realized because when they did see examples of it they thought everybody's gay so they they had these really weird perceptions that you you uh you don't see here anymore which is really interesting hmm. you're talking about uh leadership and what do you think uh, or can you just talk a bit, a little bit about we've had two major Supreme Court rulings in the past um, six years, first being marriage equality. And then just last yeah. year, we got the major ruling that, you know, 
um, LGBT people are protected under um, employment discrimination for uh, with the way it's, the way it already is written. Those were huge, yeah. and so huge. And that second one, I don't think got enough press. But yeah, I don't think so either. It's like I don't think people realize how big that was, and I know huge. why. Because you can visualize what? a wedding, it's hard to visualize somebody being fired because they're gay. I agree, and I also think I think a lot of when I don't think I know a lot of people thought we were already protected. Right. I've spoken. Yeah. I don't know how many straight people, and they're like, "What? You're not? You're not? You don't? You don't fall under this category?" Like, no, we don't. So, um, <laughs> so. Can you talk about how that shift? Because it came from the top. Now we're starting to see more acceptance and general acceptance in society. Yes, absolutely. You know, most attitude shift in the in the political community comes not from the legislative or, um, or um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking. It comes from the judicial branch. The right. judicial branch has actually been responsible for a lot of a lot of attitude change and a lot of rights that people get because people don't vote in attitude. Vote in rights as a as a rule. In some places, they've been taking away rights, and we saw a huge when Bush was being elected. That was a huge thing that was happening all around the nation. Was people were trying to vote out gay rights, and they were doing that to get people to the polls to vote mm-hmm. for Bush. Mm-hmm. But what was so interesting is that um, the the court system, when they have to look dispassionately at these things, you cannot look at gay people and say that they are equal without giving them equal rights. So you, you have to make a choice. You either have to say these people are not equal, and then you have to come up with some legal explanation, or you have to grant the rights. Now, of course, those are split decisions, so you know they, people did disagree in the courts. But they did it, it, that. Those particular uh, court rulings were absolutely um, important in the shift of attitudes towards lesbians and gay men and the marriage one was kind of interesting i'm sure you guys saw it as much as i did that at first people just had a fit about it and now no one seems to care mm-hmm. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> which is what we knew would happen right we knew the sky, the sky would not fall do you know he, here's yeah. where here's an example of where marriage equality just made it normal uh my father-in-law was in the hospital and uh, I went to, and he lives down in Austin, so while I was in Austin covering something about the legislature, uh, I was, I went to the hospital to visit him. The nurse came in, and he said, oh, this is my son-in-law, David. He had the words. They were there. It, it was just a norm. He didn't have to explain, uh, this is my son-in-law, David. He's married to my son. You know, it was n- none of that. Right. It was just. This is my son-in-law, David. That's all the nurse needed to know. It was normal. It was healthy. It was, it, it was just easy. Mm-hmm. And in the medical system, there's a there's a subtle uh, thing that goes on there because your family, you have more uh, access to the patient than someone who's not. Right. So it's you know he immediately identified you as family, which is incredible. Right. Because because I was and still am. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to corporate a little bit um, with with rainbow washing and selling products. My favorite product that I uh, 
was pitched this year that they can't understand why I haven't written about it, but I've sure made fun of it, um, is Kellogg's Rainbow Cereal with Edible Glitter. <laughs> now, the only oh place... Oh, my God. That's for How kids. For it? kids. The reason you missed it is because all of the boxes, they, they made very little uh, limited edition of it. And all of the boxes, if you want to get one, you have to pay a fortune for it on eBay. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Smart marketing. <laughs> I don't think it's so smart. smart. Marketing. No, no I, I, I think it is. They went quick. And also, that's not marketed to us. No, no. That's they marketed to kids. It was marketed to kids. And if your kids kid eats it, <laughs> they learn that glitter is edible. <laughs> Which it is generally oh, yeah, not. That's probably not a good one. Not a good idea. Uh, so I thought that lesson. was I thought that was one of the more poisonous uh, uh, rainbow washing uh, things. I got one from really fascinating. Sorry, no, go yeah, ahead. I just want to say really fascinating too. Looking at the history of cereal, and that it was wasn't it invented? Uh, the thought behind it wasn't Kellogg the one who wanted to. Um, make that if you ate cereal, you wouldn't masturbate? Yes. I mean, it was this weird anti-sex sort of thing. Oh, wow. No, I had never heard of that before. Yeah, that's why Kellogg's cornflakes were invented. Oh, my God. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was a cure so, for, for that. Oh. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Okay. But cereals yeah. in Fun general, uh, uh, post-cereals, I believe it was, were... Um, it had to do with mental health, and uh, if you uh, ate cereal, it, it would cure you of all of these odd diseases that put people in sanatoriums and things like that. Uh, so, well, I would eat cereal every day, and I will tell you that I've not been cured in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And that would be a good thing. But, you know, okay, <laughs> we're talking about cereal and marketing. Here's another one that yeah. just came to mind. Okay. So, um, Wheaties have made, it, it's back in the, I think it started in the 80s, when they, they put athletes on their, on their box. Okay. It started in the 80s. It started like in the 30s. Well, I think it really blew up in the 80s. Um, I mean, if that was the deal, if you got on the cover of Wheaties, you were doing something right. And particularly a lot of the Olympians got on there. Mm -hmm. You know who they did never put on there? Carl Lewis. Now, Carl Lewis has never come out. Oh, However, but just because he was rumored to be or talked about to be gay, he never made it on there. And this was a two-time world Olympian. Mm -hmm. Probably a, a, during his time, probably the most famous Olympian. So look how far we've come. Really fascinating because it's funny about Bruce Jenner. I was very much, a, uh, I think, a teen. And I eat every day staring at the Bruce Jenner box. And wanted to be like Bruce Jenner. I remember thinking at the time. It was so fascinating. Yeah, um, yeah. How things have changed. Yeah, yeah. because you don't want to be like Caitlyn Jenner? <laughs> and I don't mean uh, the transgender uh, part. I mean the crazy part. The crazy, yes. I mean, the transgender, right on. She's done a lot of good. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Then, you, I live in California now. She's running for governor. And you think she would crack a book. Poor thing doesn't seem to know anything about how government works here. It's just—it's almost kind of sad. I think you live in a bubble when you're a celebrity. Sometimes out here, people fawn on you and say how great you are, and they don't challenge you. And so, yeah, I don't think that that uh, 
her governor run is going anywhere. I haven't really even heard anything in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, well, coming from a state where Greg Abbott is our governor, good luck with that one. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, you know what? I feel so bad because I live in Houston and Austin. I'm familiar with that. Yeah, I'm familiar with a lot of the Texan ways. My partner's Texan. The um, the thing about, you know, I have to say how hard you guys have had things in the last year. It has been absolutely incredible, and I've felt for things. I mean, it's, it's going to be an uphill slog. As we go forward, especially with the election, uh, with the election laws, et cetera. Yeah, our friends in the legislature just called this the most brutal session they've been through. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel it. Yeah. Um, going back to, a little bit to history, um, one of the things that I think is being forgotten in uh, LGBT history is AIDS. What yeah. needs to be taught about that? What What are the lessons of AIDS that you think? Uh, the, the community learned? You know, I think what we learned, gosh, that's a tough one. Hey, you know, I, I lived through that. Uh, I, the day I graduated high school, I was walking with my transistor radio to pick up my diploma at my high school because we picked it up later. And uh, I heard the announcement about AIDS or GRID at the time, or I don't even know what it was called. It was just saying new disease affecting gay men, et cetera, et cetera. Here in LA, and I thought, oh shit, just as I'm, you know, about to come into the world here. Um, and it, it was instantly traumatic to our community. And what I think we did, which was really amazing, is I saw the community really cling together. Now, of course, we can all think of examples where that wasn't the case. There was so much fear running through the community, and people were um, sometimes very closeted, very separated, et cetera. But those who did rally around those who were sick and, and really fought for their rights and went and fought for change in the government who was ignoring us, the whole thing, it really helped the community coalesce around something that was not just sexual revolution and identity and rights. It was about living or dying. Mm-hmm. Um, so this became a very, very pivotal thing that really helped our community. I think one thing that really helped us do, too, as gay men is appreciate gay women. Because I remember that time very much. It was like two parallel tracks. And what was so amazing was to see the gay women's community really be the ones that stepped up and really helped the gay male community who was suffering so very severely at the time. Mm -hmm. So I think in many ways we grew a lot through that. What amazes me now um, is how we've forgotten it all. Now everyone's on prep. They just, they, they don't think about it. There's sex parties all the time. Then we went through so many bumps and grinds in our community, so to speak, that uh, it was really a rough time. So I think it's almost like you see these people who are over 50, who you can, you can see the trauma in their eyes sometimes. Um, and then you've got people who are 25, 30, who, you know, are just like, being gay is one big party. Um, but, you know, we saw that at all, all phases. So I think that we, I think that it did really help the community in many ways, although it provided such a severe trauma to the community that we may not really know until historians really go back and look on the era. One thing in the pandemic era that I think is a difference between the LGBT community and the community at large, especially in southern states, 
is um, th- there's denial of COVID. Like, oh, it's not yeah. that bad. Uh, you know, what can happen? Whereas the LGBT community understands what can happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody's yeah. gotten the vaccine. Uh, and if you haven't, get your vaccine. Uh, but, <laughs> well, well... I did, yes. <laughs> no, I, I know, I'm sure you did. I'm talking about our listeners. Uh, no, no, yeah, I'm just, yeah. Yeah, no, that message needs to keep getting out there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's one of the lessons, I think, from the AIDS uh, epidemic. When the pandemic first came out and um, they were talking about it uh, on the air, and I'm listening and they're, t- they're saying things like, oh, we've never seen anything like this before. And I'm thinking, well, I kind of <laughs> sort of have. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but I lived through the AIDS epidemic. We need to take a break. It's listen- upsetting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We need to take a break. Uh, you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis. And I'm, I've taken over the board for Josh, so I need to put my glasses on so I can see what I'm doing. And we'll be back with more Lambda Weekly right after this. I'm Patty Fink, and you're listening to Lambda Weekly on KNON 89.3 FM. And this is uh, 89.3 KNON FM. This is Lambda Weekly. Uh, Laurent? Oh, hi, Gabrielle. I miss you. I love you. Can't wait to see you. She's, she's been out of town. She's on her way home. Uh, she, she says she's listening. Uh, <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> We're talking to Greg Kaysen uh, uh, about the history of Pride Month. And um, one of the things that you did, Greg, was you headed the first National Coming Out Day? That's correct. Yeah. Tell Back us, in 1988. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little um, bit about what was that even like? Okay. So I will say I was still struggling with my own identity. And I was 23, I believe, when I got this job. And it was because I was working for David Mix. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's very big in the gay community in the political arena. Um, I went from working with him, and they needed someone to basically spearhead this campaign for a national coming out day. So I took it uh, with uh, National Gay Rights Advocates. I went to work there. And also worked with uh, the Experience Weekend, which was Rob Eichberg. Oh. The bottom line uh, uh, it was the whole thought was that it was in the first um, AIDS quilt and that they wanted to develop this. It, how do we actually make a difference in our community? And that's to get people to come out. So they decided to create a day to help people come out. And they went uh, They said, OK, we're going to do this campaign. What my job was is to take that campaign and make it real. So I had to go and try to get college groups all around the nation, TV stations. I called up Keith Herring. He did a poster for us. I called, you know, we got on Oprah. That was, everything was just cold call, cold call, cold call. And it was amazing the support that we did get, but we got a lot of hangups. What was really tough is we couldn't get any celebrities. The only one we really got was really of note was Terry Sweeney from Saturday Night Live. Mm. He was the first out gay cast member from Saturday Night Live, and he was incredible. Um, extremely talented individual, super funny. And um, But it was really hard. Now you fast forward to today, and people are out all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's really an incredible process. But we, our whole thing was... Um, that you didn't have to come out like go from saying I'm straight to I'm gay. We just wanted people to take a little bit of step, one step in their coming out process. So it could be something as small as um, 
reading an article about gay people where maybe they've never done it, or maybe buying a gay magazine in a store where they've never done that. So doing one small step to help them in their coming out process. And it really was an incredible and very powerful thing that really caught fire in the nation. See, again, my coming out was just different than that. Nobody ever told me there was anything wrong with being gay. So (laughs) since I was, I just did. Yeah. (laughs) David grew up in New York. Yeah. 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 Things could be different in other places. Yeah. Well, and my mother worked at Sarah Lawrence College, which is big lesbian school. And so, I mean, there was just, it never occurred to me that there was anything wrong with it. I remember the first time I was on a radio show, I was in college, uh, and the talk show, uh, the topic was being gay. Uh, And there was one question uh, that I didn't know how to answer, and that was, does your family accept you? And my answer, I'll never forget, the only thing I could come up with was accept me. They're my family. It just never (laughs) occurred to me that it was even an issue. I thought it was odd that he was even asking me to be on the radio. So I think it's great that you had that experience. It's, you know, so rare and maybe more common today. But what's interesting is I think even today, people have these incredibly difficult experiences coming out. They live in pockets or in communities or in religions or in families where it's still the worst thing you could possibly Mm -hmm. be and bring shame upon the family. Absolutely. So we can never forget those. Yeah, you know, not to be Debbie Downer, but just last week... (laughs) There was a video that surfaced of this little boy. I think he's in the sixth grade. And I don't know how they, I don't know if he came out or what, but his parents not only made a video of beating him, but they shaved the word gay in his head. And so the officials, of course, again, they put this online and uh, CPS came and removed him from the home. Oh, good. So it's like, yeah, okay, so here we are in 2021. Kids or young adults absolutely still struggle, uh, have difficulties with their parents um, accepting or embracing their sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. You know, it's so interesting, though, is I have to say the little bit of progress I heard in that was that CPS came and removed them from the home. Right, so right, right, it, right. You know, back not too long ago, it was, well, parents can do, you know, that's their, their kid. They can do what they want, you right. know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that was important to me, I mentioned Dave Cope before, and he he had a good effect on me, uh, even though I never had a problem with coming out. Just, OK, here's this former football player and he's just so out and open and happy with his life. Um, people have asked me along the way, who, who have who were your role models back in those pre Stonewall days? And uh I really, I, I didn't come out until after that because I was only like 16 when Stonewall happened. Um, but uh, my teachers, and I was just thinking uh, before the show, who were some of my teachers? Well, one of them was the chairman of our French department in college. Um, and, you know, gay wasn't invented at Stonewall. There were gay people going way back. Well, he was out and open during World War II, and he served in an office that was the code breakers. And I asked him one time, 
you know, about was he the only one who was gay in his office? And he said, no, everybody in our office was gay. And I said, why do you think that was? And he said, because we're good at figuring things out. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. And he meant that in several different ways. We have to figure out that we're gay because we're not presented that as uh, an alternate choice that you have if you happen to be gay not a choice but mm-hmm. uh one of the options that's out there an option yeah uh that that being out healthy happy that that's a possibility mm-hmm. so i always relied on my teachers and and the the gay teachers that i encountered were wonderful um greg who are your role models you know it's I have to say, I grew up, you know, like I said, very conservative. I didn't know any gay people. I didn't know any gay people growing up. I was quite convinced I was the only one in my school, in my high school. I didn't know that there were gay teachers. Our, you know, drama teacher was very, very straight, very, um, you know, would would uh, very inappropriate toward the women in the class. So the um, so how were the, the how were the drama productions in your school? They must have been terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they probably were. <laughs> they certainly, they certainly weren't uh, glitter and gold. But I think they were a lot of fun. There were probably gay people somewhere hidden mm-hmm. in there. But it was it was interesting to me because I got to UCLA and I met gay people there, and it was the first experience where I actually was able. The only gay people I knew about, I lived. We lived near Laguna Beach. Laguna Beach was a gay enclave at the time. And when we would go down there, like, to go to the beach, my family would make fun of the gay people in such vicious and overt ways, lisping and making fun of them and going, mm. look at the very crowd, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember one day, this had happened many times, but one day I just thought, oh, my God, that's me. Mm-hmm. That's what they're making fun of is me. And so my my fear of being this hated person was installed very early. So it was a it was a very different experience in that particular way. That's why I think I have great compassion for those who do suffer and who do have difficulties that come out. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah so, I, 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 so I can't I, say I had any until I got you know. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, to see I, the yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Greg. I can't say that I had any. And I was I was a theater geek. Um, my first major yeah. in college was theater. So in high school, yeah. our theater teacher was blatantly, obviously gay, but not open. So um, I can't say I had any role models, um, even in college. Um, I guess my role models would be some of the first people that I met who were openly out and um, and praying proud of it. So I guess that those were some of my role models. But as far as like professors or teachers or any adults, I can't. I didn't have any. Hmm. Isn't that wild? Yeah. 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 So, Greg, does Pride Month help those who are coming out now accept themselves? Is it important that we continue having Pride Month? Or, or I, yeah. No, I was going to say, or Pride Month brought to you by Chase Bank. Yeah, that's that. I wish wouldn't happen. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, what can we say? Uh, corporations will always look for a way to get their name out there. Um, but the um, and the community needs the money. You know, it's I mean, the actual community organizations need money. So it's, it's a very uh, tense alliance, I think, at times. But mm-hmm. the um, but 
you know, yes, I do believe it's helpful because we, as long as we're going to remain in the minority, which we will, because that's just how statistics work and that's how biology works. Right. We're going to need a place or a recognition of people who are always in the minority that you're okay too. There's a thing called um, minority stress model. And it basically says that anyone who's in the minority and experience, the more oppression that they experience, the more mental health issues they have. And so we, we, our goal would be to remove oppression. And part of removing oppression is very simply visibility. So Pride Month is going to be an extremely helpful way to remove oppression, which is going to help the mental health of every gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, et cetera, mm-hmm. person. Right. So you, you, going back to your comment about you, you really wouldn't want to see um, Pride brought to you by Chase. No. I, I get that, but, you know. Citibank, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or Wells Fargo. Um, but it, you know, as somebody who's. You know, shopping around for, uh, you know, their first bank or whatever, especially a gay couple. You don't think that might make them feel welcome? Like, oh, you know what? This is one place we can go to and like, you know, we won't have to hide the fact that we're a couple or something like that. Absolutely. And I think that that is a good point. Um, At least lets them know that this, this, this organization is not going to be turning its back on the gay community. I think we've gotten to a point now, though, it's unusual for a corporation to turn its back. Really, if anything, they just ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not that act of discrimination that you once experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's um, I think it would be helpful to people to know where they could feel safe. But I think at some point, you know, if I went to Chase in uh, West Hollywood, I'm going to run into gay employees all over the place. If I go to Chase and, uh, you know, I don't know where, like West Texas, you know, I'm probably going to maybe have trouble finding the gay employer, at least an out one. Yeah. But one thing that people can do is go to that bank, and I don't mean just the national banks, but the local ones too, and see if they have non-discrimination policies written into their uh, employment Right. agreements which are usually online and you can see what the official attitude is i mean what individuals do that's you know what individuals do uh and you might run into a little bit of discrimination at one of these national companies that has a local branch that has non-accepting people um but you but you would know that because of that pride ad that they ran or if they have, you know, if you took the time to look up their uh, policy and you see that um, sexual orientation is one of their protected classes, mm-hmm. if you run into that individual who is um, displaying discrimination, you have you have uh, something to back it up with. You have recourse. You have recourse, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, how good has the uh, LGBT community been in including ourselves in pride? You mean all aspects of our community? Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, like yeah, I, the, the men I, accepting the women, uh, the younger gays <laughs> accepting the older gays. The leather bar, the leather community being accepted. Because yeah, I know what you mean. Because there's a, yeah. there's a lot of uh, pushback even till this day about some 
some people don't want to see certain groups in pride parades. Yeah, or Leron having gained so much weight lately. No one wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, it's, I think that our, our community does suffer some... Okay, let me just back it up. Anytime you're in a minority community, you have a stratus that happens. That within the community, they're going to be the people like the football player who's hyper masculine, who can pass for straight, all of a sudden gets a higher status within the community. The person who's very feminine, who um, who might be more identifiable, who you know is not in a, who's not in a big sport, does not make a lot of money, gets a lower status, and you see this start to happen. And you see this happen with body types, people in the community, all over the place. What I hope Pride is, and what it always has been, at least to me and all all the places I've experienced it, New York, Houston, Austin, L.A., um, is that get, Pride has always been about every part of the community. And that's been the most exciting part, is that Pride, you see people that you don't normally see because they don't go to your bars, they don't go to your house parties, right. et cetera. You see everybody, and that's really a wonderful thing. That is my favorite, favorite thing about Pride. I actually shudder at the people who say, oh, I don't want leather people, or I don't want drag queens in the um, parade. Although now I think RuPaul's Drag Race has done, like now drag queens are the sort of cool thing. Right. But you right. see that now happening with the leather community, which is just a terrible thing. Uh, thing to happen because here's a community that you know they're celebrating a, a form of sexuality which is individual to them and and really is great and it really helps them have community or you could see the bear community you could see all these other people who are you know coming together and we've got to celebrate those things and we've got to get over our, our own internalized homophobia which is something that absolutely is the cause for people who look at these other groups and want to push them aside right well, we are out of time. Greg, I want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you. And it's really real happy Pride, guys. Happy, happy Pride. Pride. And for all of us here at Lambda Weekly, have a good week. Yes.